0: So it was June 5th, 1989, when one of the most amazing, uh, most memorable pictures of all time was taken. And you're going to see it right here. It was taken in uh, Tiananmen Square in China the day after the Tiananmen Square massacres. And so what, what was going on was that, that there were protests there. there were protests against the government, and on June 4th of that year... the. the the government military rolled in with tanks and guns and opened fire on the crowds. And it, it, it depends on whose reports you listen to as to how many people died that day. Uh, you know, some of the government reports is a few dozen. Others say several hundred. and You know, there's just, there's just no telling how many. But this was day two. This was the day after. And what happened was more tanks were rolling into the area. And this guy who, if you'll look him up online, they call him Tank Man because to this day, nobody knows who the guy is. There's some theories as to who he might be, but none of them have ever been verified. But essentially, he was a businessman that said, I've got to do something. I've got to step in. I've got, I've got to put a stop to this. I, I, you know, What can I do? And I don't know him. I don't know anything about his story. I don't know if he sat up all night thinking about his response or if this was a spur of the moment thing. But essentially, there was a chain of tanks. that You see four in this picture. But if you see the overhead view, it's like 30 tanks in a row getting ready to roll into the square, and what he did was, just in his business outfit and his briefcase, he just walked out into the square and stood in front of the front tank and wouldn't let it go any further, and the, ta- the, the commander tried to go around him, and he would just move with the tank, and each time, until the commander shuts his tank off, and all the tanks behind him shut their engines off, and he climbed up on the tank and was talking to some of the soldiers through, through portholes. And and then you can even see, I think one of them opens up here, but he's talking into the top of the tank, and apparently he didn't get anywhere because the tank's all fired up again. Well, he jumps back up in front of the front tank, and he just stands there and refuses to move. He basically says, if you're going to go forward, you're going to have to go over me. And soon after, two people came came out of buildings nearby and dragged him away, and the tanks went on, and there was no violence that day that I know of. And so... Nobody knows what happened to the guy, whether those were government people that came to get him, whether those were helpful citizens that were worried about him. But what I know is when I see that picture, and I've thought about this picture a lot over the last couple of weeks, I see an act of courage that's just pretty unthinkable. I, you know, we've been, we've been talking about love and what love is. That's what we did last service. And we talked about how love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is a characteristic uh, or almost like a practice, but it, it causes action. It causes you to act a certain way. And so, to me, this is an act of love. It's a a courageous, self-sacrificing action that says, I will stand in the gap for someone else. They can run over me, but I'm going to slow them down from running over somebody else. And it's it's really kind of an incredible thing. And I thought about him standing in front of those tanks with the engines fired up and the heat coming off of those things. And how easy it would be to just stay in your building. To just, you know, people all the time, you see something terrible happen and you think, oh, that's terrible. But actually getting out in the midst of the terror and actually stepping between the terror and someone else, few people ever do that in their entire lives. And this is just, in my opinion, just a pivotal moment in in history, in, in humanity. It's just a beautiful thing. And so I've started thinking, as I've been looking at this slide, is who loves me like that? And so I phrased it, who loves you like that? And because I, you know, hopefully after this is over, I want you to think about that. Is there anybody in your life that loves you enough to stand between you and the terror, stand between you and something awful that's going to happen, that would give up their life, sacrifice for you? See, the Bible teaches this. It teaches that there's no greater love than this, than the person who lays down their life for another. It says that's the highest. Skeptics all the time say, why, do, why would God have to die about the Jesus story? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. Muslims especially will say, it doesn't make sense that God would die. Well, the highest form of love is to die for someone else. I think that's part of the whole story. There's a lot more to it than that. But I think God came as a man and died to show the greatest kind of love to humanity. And it's saying, I will give up my life. My life is not for me anymore. And so when I've been thinking about who, who has ever loved me that much, the list is very small. Uh, I, you know, I probably have some friends that spur of the moment would take a bullet for me because they wouldn't be thinking clearly, you know. Um, but, but for a person to lay it all down, I, I really, honestly, only came up with one person. I thought about my wife, and my, my wife would, would take a bullet for me, but she has other interests in our children. She, there would be hesitance there. She would be divided. It would not be all about me. She would have to think about well, what do I do here? I've thought about some of my good friends. And I have friends that would take a bullet for me, I think, a handful. But when it, when it came down to who would totally give their life for me, whose life revolves around me, can anybody think of who I might have thought of? Jesus, yes. But who, what was the other? Mom. Yeah, I thought of mom. And, uh, you know, my, my mom passed away in, in December of last year. But I think of our whole li- my whole life, from the time I was born until the day she died, she was always the one that I could call, and I know she would totally have my best interests at heart. She, w- she would far, far prioritize my interests over her interests, and always did. I remember when we were little kids, when I was 8 or 10 years old, we didn't have a whole lot of money. But I remember every summer, like three times during the summer in our little town, she would go rent hotel rooms at a local hotel, a little cheap roach motel, just so that we could use the pool all day. She'd overpay for a pool just so that we would have a place to go. And her whole life, I remember her, her just stepping up and doing things that were beyond her for me. Now, and so I want to talk about, about motherhood for a second and mom's. And I know this, this is probably better as a Mother's Day sermon, but it, well, I figured it, daylight every day is Mother's Day. And so just keep that in mind. Mom is special every day of the year. And, uh, if you, it's funny, if you look online for pictures of mom and baby, this is the kind of stuff you get. And this next one right there, now, they're all beautiful, perfect skin. Their eyes have been so, so Photoshopped that they look kind of freaky, right? That kid is like a clown under my bed. He freaks me out, all right? And he, uh, there's so many good pictures, but this, this is actually the reality of babies, this is my child, moments after he was born. Now, I caught him coming out, right? I'm sitting there holding a leg and pushing, and everybody's grunting and sweating and screaming and yelling, and, and uh, the doctor says, you want to catch him? I say, yeah. He says, okay, suit up. So I suit up, and I get there, and I'm getting down like this, and that dude pops out of there, this greasy, slimy alien, and no, no purple like the purplest, I don't even see any purple in here that matches. Maybe your shirt right there. That's the color of purple my son was when he came out of the womb, right? And his head was shaped like this. My son was a cone head when he was born. And really, I kind of panicked. I'm holding this freak, and I'm looking at it, and I, I think I said out loud, is that normal? Because seriously, messed up. And this was him just a few minutes later after he'd been cleaned up. No, that's not him. But, but lots. Of, if you look at pictures, this is a little more realistic about what mom and son or mom and daughter is like in the early, early stages. This is what children look like for the first year, year and a half, 18 years. This is what they look like. And this one's a close-up. The next one's a close Go ahead. One more. Okay. I have spent so many hours in this position for the last three months. My, my, my daughter is, is very young, and... Any, well, I don't know why, because I'm dad and I'm not mom, uh, and I can't breastfeed her. That's the problem, really. And uh, we want we everybody to be real comfortable at Daylight Church, so not feel awkward at all. So we're going to talk about breastfeeding quite a bit today. But So, anytime, not anytime anymore. She smiles a lot at me now, but for a long time, this was the expression she wore. And it always, it always reminds me of this movie clip that we're going to show you now, real quick. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? and that's it so you know and babies we have a co-sleeper so the baby sleeps next to it like right next to our bed and sometimes I wonder it wouldn't be pretty cool to be a baby because all babies do is go hey feed me and they do it over hey 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 and that's what they do and you know in the middle of the night you get how, how great would that be you wake up two in the morning, you want a pizza. You're like, pizza, pizza. And mom's got, or you're going you're gonna to keep yelling pizza until mom gets a pizza. And that's what babies do. And there's nothing pretty about it. There's, no, there's nothing, I mean, there's, there's moments where they don't drool, but they're few and far between. And it's tough. And we'll go back to the picture of my son. And, uh, you know, husbands, husbands make it tough on you too. I was real hesitant to tell this story. But uh, we knew our doctor when Silo was born. And right after he was born, the doctor grabbed the camera from me and started snapping shots of everybody, saying, you stand here and you stand there. And he put us in a big circle. And then he he grabbed us and we all prayed together. And then he grabbed the video camera and we took a bunch of pictures and and, uh, got home and looked through the pictures. And he had taken some pretty good pictures. And so I, I, I did a little bit of doctoring on them, not much, just changed the tone and contrast a little bit and posted a bunch of them on Facebook and found one that was my favorite because my child looked less of an alien in this particular picture, right? So I find this picture, and Kara's holding him like this, and uh, his face just looks beautiful like an angel, even though it's a really ugly angel, but like an angel. And so I take this picture, and I, I, I make it into my, my, my background on my computer, and I change my profile on Facebook. That My profile is this picture, and then I send this picture to all our friends, family, and all of Kara's coworkers, okay? So I, I like this picture. 24 hours later, somebody from our church calls us and says, did you know that Kara's breast is exposed in this picture? I said, no. She says, well, it is. And I go back and look at the picture, And it's there, just clear as the noonday sun, shining out from right behind his head. I mean, no question what you're looking at. And just the most gut-wrenching, empty, oh, I'm going to die feeling on earth. And, you know, I had sent it to her 60-year-old boss. Uh, You know, I had sent it to everybody that knows us. One of my friends later said, we just thought you were really getting into that natural childbirth thing. I said, no, no, that's not it. And so, you know, husbands don't make it easy. It's just the whole process, and she's good about it now, but for a little while, there was nothing funny about that at all, not even a little bit amusing. And still today, I just, I I didn't want to tell you, but reality happens, all right? Kids are reality. And so, next slide, please. Um, But here's something I've seen recently. Now, Lena, Lena, our new baby, she, she doesn't cry near as much as she once did. Uh, she's on a better sleeping schedule. You know, she, she'll wake up once in the middle of the night and eat. But I've noticed, and I'm a little jealous of my wife. And, and honestly, the breastfeeding thing is something I'm a little jealous of. I know that sounds really weird. I tried taping cans of evaporated milk to my chest, and it just didn't, it just didn't go. And they, she holds him, and there's, there's just something incredible that happens. I don't, I don't uh, holds her, I mean. It, it, there's no explaining the beauty of a breastfeeding child and mom. And there's something I, I know that I could never connect with, but it's like this utter dependence. It's like, because what happens, she'll be screaming, like that picture, she's ah, 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 and Kara will take her and hold her, and she'll just go limp. <sighs> and she'll just lay there. And recently, she started where she doesn't want to feed so much, she wants to look at mom. So she'll go down, she'll look up, she'll go down, she'll look up, and it's like there's this connection between them that, that I could never have, that, that most people could never have with another human being. I really think it's, it's a special thing that only a mom and a child can experience. And I say that because a lot of times we think of God as father, and in, and in the Bible, that's, that's how God has chosen to reveal himself primarily. It says, Father, you know, our Father who art in heaven. You hear Father, 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 Dad, Lord, Master, Commander, and there's these masculine terms. But there's a few hints at this maternal nature of God. See, God is without gender. We, we try to think of God as gender because we're, we're, we have gender, but he's not. He's nothing like that. He, he's a spirit. He's completely, totally, absolutely different than we are. And in the Bible, he hints at these maternal instincts that he has. One of those passages is here. In Isaiah, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. And then also here in Psalm 139, it says, You are formed, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. There are several passages in Scripture that, that, that call us like chicks under a mother hen. Or they, they say that we will find shelter under the wings of the Almighty. and Those are, those are feminine covering nesting terms. And here, this, this is what I want to get across to you. Some of you, it's hard for you to relate to God. It, it just is. He's out there and booming and commanding and, and big and massive. And, and It's very important that you're able to see him up close. It's really important that you're able to see that he has you here that he is your sustainer, your provider. He's the one that wants to feed you, right? And there's this, there's this word in the Bible. It's, it's a name of God in Hebrew. It's called El Shaddai. And uh, a lot of times when you hear El Shaddai, they, they call it my provider or my nourisher. But really it comes from two wor- roots. Uh, one of them is the word shad, and another is like or I, I don't know the exact roots, but they come from the roots for breast and destroyer. And so it's, it's this combination of nourishing, provisional, but protective and able to protect. And it's, it's, a, it's a mama bear type situation. You know, you've heard, you've heard stories of people being mauled by bears. I, statistically, I'm sure the odds are most of them, there were baby bears involved. Because if you see a grizzly in the forest by itself, it's probably just going to try to go away. You see a grizzly mama with cubs, she's coming after you and will destroy you. And it's, It's this idea that God, sometimes, some people translate El Shaddai as the many-breasted one. It means abundant provision, abundant nourishment, abundant giving. But there's also this little nuance to the word that's like, that can take care of business for you, that can protect you. You don't have to fear when you're right here. And that's, that in my opinion is, is, is a way that God wants you to be able to see him, is that he wants you here, he's got your problems under control. He is the one that can shelter you. He's the one, there's, nothing can get you when you're in Mama Bear's arms. I'm a little uncomfortable saying that, Mama Bear. I don't, I don't even, it's kinda, I don't even like it. But the fact is, he is one that holds you here and wants to keep you. I, I was at a nursing home. Uh, oh, This was probably 10, 15 years ago. We did nursing home visitation. And, I remember as we were leaving, we had sung some songs, played some bingo, and as we were leaving, there was, there was a, a woman in a wheelchair, and the woman had actually vomited down her shirt and just stunk of urine. I, I remember, you know, just that pungent oh, smell as you come up, and you could see it on her, just, just filthy. And this is no reflection on the nursing home staff. I'm sure they took care of it quickly. But in that particular time, that's the situation she was in. And I remember as we left, I remember patting her on the shoulder and saying, hey, how are you doing? Hope you have a good day. You know, we'll, we'll see you next week. And I remember leaving kind of with a feeling of, well, I did something kind of cool there. You know, she was covered in vomit and urine, and I, I gave her a little pat on the shoulder. And I remember talking to Jesus in the parking lot. And I felt like, I feel like God talks to me all the time. I don't know if he does or doesn't, but I feel like he does. And a lot of times it seems to be true. And I remember in the parking lot, he said, would you take her place? He said, would you let her get up from that wheelchair, cover yourself in vomit, cover yourself in urine, and sit down where she is and let her live your life? And I thought about that long and hard, and I don't know the answer to that. I, I want to say yes. I think that's the right answer. But would I really? I don't, I don't know. And if, if you read the scriptures, it says, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, died for us. So it's not just that there's this random lady who happened to seem, have a nice smile in, in the nursing home that maybe I should step in for. I would have to think of who's the person I dislike the most. You know, think about that for a second. Who do you dislike the most? Who, who do, I mean, there's got to be somebody that just grates on your nerves or did bad things to you or, you know, you know who it is. When I say that, chances are some of you are like, oh, I got 20, 30 of those kind of people, but you got at least one, right? Would you let them get up from their mess and their ugliness and their vomit and their urine? Would you, would you let yourself be covered in their trash so that they could be free? Because until you can say yes to that answer, you have no clue about the love of Jesus. Until, it, it's not mean you're not experiencing it. It means you're not fathoming the depth of it. So many times in Scripture, it talks, there's just a pattern. I've got several passages here I'll show you. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Next. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Next. This is the last one. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. All of these talk about some kind of a substitution. It talks about God who was on his throne, who was in perfection, who is who surrounded by angels that sing his glories all day. I mean, it's, it's a nice life for God. It talks about him coming and getting into your pool of vomit. It talks about him coming and getting in your wheelchair, the mess that you've made, the, the, the dementia and the sadness and the anger and the bitterness. It says, I'll come in and I will let all that come on me so that you can be free of it. That's the kind of love. That's the kind of stand up in front of a tank and let it roll over you, love, that God has shown. It's it's the love of a mother. It's the love of a protector. It's a love that wants to hold you right here and says, I'll do it. I'll do it. Don't you worry about a thing. Don't worry about a thing. I got this. That's the God we serve. That's the God that Jesus is. I'm going to show you a a, a movie clip here in a second, but I want to to kind of give you a bit of backstory. We've already seen one clip from this movie a couple months ago. It's from a movie called To End All Wars. and It's based on true events in World War II. Essentially, a bunch of Uh, a bunch of Brits and Scots and Americans had been captured and taken to Burma where they were building the death railway. And tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people died. But what's happened in this clip is the commander, the major, uh, over this certain area, he had organized an escape. He said, we're getting out of here. We're going to bust out of this camp. And several of the other soldiers said, don't do it. You can't do it. You won't survive. Even if you manage to get out of the camp, You'll go two, 3,000 miles of jungle and nothing but jungle with nobody willing to feed you, nobody willing to help you, no medicine, it's impossible. He said, don't do it, and you're going to bring the wrath of the camp down on us if you try. But he ignored them. He tries to escape. He fails. He's captured. He's taken with four or five of his own men. And just before this clip that I'm about to show you, he watched four of his men be executed. So he li- they lined them up in a row. They killed four of them. He's the only one left and he's about to be executed. you you saying? What are you saying? And No. No! no. All right, Bokki. Major. Major, what did he say? Peter, please, what did Dusty say? Peter! station. Do it. Which go Which So, if the major had a chance to talk to Dusty again after that, what's the only real appropriate response? What do you think? Doesn't thank you come to mind? You know, we've, we've been talking about how people are, are thirsty, and this, this quote from Tom Baudet is what we've been cir- circling around. We're still on someone to love. It says, say, they say a person needs just three things in this world, someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. And then we've been talking about what it means for some, to have someone to love, and when you say, I want someone to love, there's, there's kind of three ways you could look at it. One is, I want someone to give me love. So it, it would be a receiving of love. It was, or it could be, I, I want someone to give love to, or then there's this shared love, which is the best kind of love. And, and so when we talk about who we would give our love to, a guy like Dusty, I, I think that should come easily. It, it should be easy to love someone who would lay down everything for you. Uh, you know, it. it I, I remember I was at a worship service one time, and it was stadium seating like this, and I, I was in the back of the room, and I was sitting on like the second row f- forward, and, and I was sitting down with kind of my head in my hands, and there was this football player on the row behind me. He was like one step behind me in a chair two over, and he had somehow managed to turn around in his chair and get down on his knees in this little row, smaller than these, and squeeze himself into that chair, and I just remember hearing him... <laughs> just kind of, kind of crying back there. And then I just, and I, I, maybe I shouldn't have been focused on him, but I was. And he kept saying, I love you. I love you. He kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And I know the guy had only been a Christian for like two months at that point. The guy weighs 320 pounds. He's, he's a lineman on, on a college football team. Big, massive, burly dude. And for a good five, ten minutes, he just sat there saying, I love you, I love you so much, just over and over and over. And I'm sitting there just crying, thinking, have I ever experienced what he's experiencing right now? And you see, a a God that takes you right here and will hang on a cross for you on your behalf is a God worth saying, I will give my love back to you. A A God who, he says, even when you were his enemy, the person you liked the least, that's who you could easily be to God. He says, you, I will step in for you. I will do it for you. That, it's a real simple message, but the message is he loves you. And the only proper response is I love you too. I love you back. And when you love him and he loves you, then you have that shared love. And that's the kind of love that changes you. From the inside out, that makes you a different person. You know, we'll go back to my son, and uh, there's no question that's a funky-looking kid. It just is. But I want to show you him a couple years ago. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. That's my DNA pool right there. God takes ugly, funky, nasty, alien, vomit-crusted, urine-soaked messes. And puts them in a suit and cleans them up and cuts their hair and nourishes them. That's what he wants to do in your life. And, you know, in fact, the major, he could have had two responses. One, he could say, thank you, Dusty, thank you, Dusty, thank you, Dusty. Or he could go to his grave, proudly saying, why did you do that for me? You should not have done that for me. And shaking his fist at him. Isn't that a possible response too? And that's what some people do with God. They just shake their fist at him all life long. when they could have been cleaned up and purified and made whole and made right and sent in a brand new direction. But instead they say, I'm not having it for whatever reason. There's all kinds of walls people put up, but for whatever reason, I'll close with this passage of scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new.